Jesus is all we need. Hallelujah. I want to share a message with you this morning, truly based in the Word of God. And as I get ready to introduce that, I will ask you this morning, how many of you brought your Bible with you today? Oh, wow, it's okay. It's beginning to get through. We're about 50% there. Okay. Now, from now on, bring your Bible. I may give you a test. Probably I won't do that. But we are going to start honoring and recognizing this Word of God. There's so many voices out there today, so many messages, so much untruth. It's being called fake news now, but it's always been around because the devil's always had his message and it's always been false. Just increasing somewhat today. So we're going to more and more base everything we do in the Word of God, which I think we're doing anyway, but we will honor it and recognize it by having it with us. And if I don't call out a place for you to turn to in the Scriptures, it's all right. You still got it with you. You may walk out the door and on your way home, stop at the grocery store, and somebody need a word that's in this book. You can share it with them. You know, I like to pay so little for a Bible. I mean that in a different kind of way from the way I said it. I like to buy a Bible so that I can afford to give them away if, I, if I'm in a place that I need to. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> pay so little for it. <laughs> So, these Bibles out there on our table right now cost $10. In the store, you'd probably pay 30 for them, about that. And uh, I've kept one of these. This is, the, this is the size Bible that I read, and I read in it for such a long time until I started reading it almost exclusively from my iPad, my computer. But I like to have something, if I need to, I can hand it to somebody. And I say, do you have a Bible? And they say, no, well, here's one. And I don't want to have them some little piece of trash. Not that the Word of God is trash, but sometimes it can be printed in a way that it looks like it. It's having something nice. So just a thought and an idea for you. We're going, to, we're going to maximize the Word of God. I believe you agree with that, don't you? Amen. All right, let's look at God's Word together this morning, and I'm going to share something with you that I believe will move you in the direction God wants you to go if you will listen to this and take heed to it. It's pretty simple, basic. But it's important. If God has put you somewhere, He does not have to keep telling you to stay. But He will need to tell you before you can move in His will. So wherever God has planted you in His kingdom, that's where he wants you to stay until he says it's time to move. God isn't nearly as interested in our moving about as we are, but he does sometimes change our course for our own safety, for our own direction, when we don't even know in advance what's going to happen, but God does know. So he moves us when it's time for us to be moved. But until that time, if we don't stay where God put us, we'll miss what God has for us. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will communicate this message to our hearts today. With the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
I pray that these words will go forth as an arrow into the hearts of people who need truth planted in them to grow, to fully develop, and to show them the way to victory. Let this be true today, because the Holy Spirit, who's already been moving greatly in this time that we've come together, move again greatly now as the Word of God is delivered. In Jesus' name, we pray it and we believe it. Amen. I'm going to say something that may turn you off this morning, turn you off in this sense. This may make you decide that you don't want to read your Bible quite as much as you've been reading it. Maybe not even pray quite as much as you've been praying. Not to come to church as often as you, I, I, I dare say that. I don't know why I dare say that. I'd step out with trepidation to say it. But it may cause you not to want to come to church as much as you do. Because you know those things, reading your Bible and praying and coming to church and doing other things as well, will draw you closer to God. And so there are a lot of us who don't want to get that much closer to God because of what I'm going to say right now, and this is true. The closer you get to God, the more He will require of you. So I have sent some of you in the other direction this morning. You definitely now, if you believe that, don't want to get closer to God because if you do, He's going to require more of you than He's been asking of you. I'd rather not have to do much more than God's already asked me to do. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I know absolutely that that should have got a 100% High volume, high decibel, amen, from everybody in this congregation this morning, with maybe one or two exceptions. You don't want to do any more than God's already asked you to do, do you? Really, honestly, down in your heart. Because if you did, you'd be doing so much more. As God speaks to you and God leads you, God develops you, you'd never say no to God. You'd never turn away from what God wants you to do, if that were true. But most of us, and I put myself in this category, don't want the Lord to tell us much more that we need to do and ask us to walk in closer obedience because we feel like we're paying a fairly good price right now. But the closer you get to God, the more He will require of you. And the truth is that that ought not to pull us away from Him. It ought to cause us to want to draw so much closer to Him, to be much, so much deeper in His fellowship. Because when God honors us by asking us to obey Him, it means that He has a substantial element of trust in us, in whom He has invested so much to bring us to Him. So when God speaks to us about something He wants us to do, we ought to move with great joy, with all the ability we have in the power of the Holy Spirit, to make that happen as God has led us to do it. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the fifth chapter of James this morning. And then I'll tell you I'm going to go from James chapter 5 to 1 Kings chapter 17. You're very familiar with this scripture. 
in James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, James wrote, Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, was a man with a nature like ours. Human being, just like we are. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is included in James chapter 5 as an illustration of God answering prayer. It is preceded by that statement that we've quoted so many times in the King James. It says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then he goes on to speak about this man who prayed effectively and with fervor and faith and believed God. And God used him in a great, mighty way. So God, so God led Elijah to appear before the king of Israel, whose name was Ahab, a wicked, ungodly, deceitful, horrible man. God told Elijah to go to him after he had prayed for the rain to stop and tell Ahab it wasn't going to rain. So Elijah did that. He appeared before the king, and he told the king, except until I speak again, except at my word, there will be no rain. No moisture, no dew, nothing will fall upon this earth again from this moment on till I speak the word. And then Elijah disappeared. And well, he did. Because when Ahab remembered that that prophecy and it came true and the rain stopped and after a period of time it was very dry, he remembered what Elijah had told him and he started looking for Elijah everywhere because he wanted to force Elijah to change his word and if not, would have killed him. In really a bad shape, you'd kill them because it would never rain again if Elijah hadn't said so. so but, but ungodly people don't know right things. So he's looking for, a, for Elijah, but he cannot find Elijah. Because just as soon as that happened, God spoke to Elijah. And he said, Elijah, I want you to get over there. There's a little place by the brook Kirith, which is on the east side of Jordan. And I want you to hide your place there in that little secret place. And don't worry about food because I'll send you food. Don't worry about water because the, the stream is clear. You can drink from the stream. You'll have food and water every day. He said he was going to send him food and meat by the ravens. The birds are going to deliver it to him. Now, I'm not going to try to explain to you how sanitary the birds were. Uh, all I can tell you is if God says he's going to feed me that way, I'm going to ask him to sanitize the birds before they bring it. I'll just trust that God did that because Elijah survived. And he stayed there. And here's the point that I made in the very beginning of this message. God put him there for his own safety. He put him there for his own security. He put him there so King Ahab, who wanted to grab him and torture him and even destroy him, could not find him. And as simple as that place was and as close as it was, Elijah stayed there and Ahab could not find him. Then there came a time he stayed. He stayed, he stayed. God never told him again, I want you to stay over there by the brook Kirith. He never told him, told him one time, go and stay. Elijah stayed. As long as he stayed, he was secure. And then God came and spoke to him again. The brook dried up because it was a drought, no rain falling. The birds stopped bringing food. So God spoke to Elijah and said, I want you to go over to Zarephath, and I have commanded a widow there to feed you. 
Go to Zarephath, you will find this widow, and she will feed you. I've told her to do it. So Elijah gets up and starts on his journey. He goes to Zarephath, and as he's walking up to the entrance to the city, there's a woman outside gathering sticks and a little bundle so that she can go start a fire, obviously, but that's all Elijah knows. But he knows that God told him that was a widow who was going to feed him. So he sees this woman, and he speaks to her, and he asks her to bring him a cup of water. So she goes to get him a cup of water, and then the Lord speaks to Elijah, this is the widow I told you about. So ask her for food. So then Elijah said, oh, by the way, when you bring me back the water, bring me a little cake, a morsel of food with the water. When you return, and she turned and looked at him and said, Sir, I'm gathering these sticks so we can build a fire and use the last meal and the last oil that we have for my son and me. It's not even enough for us. And then when that is done, we have nothing left to live on unless there's something else that happens. We'll just die. That's all we have left in the world. And Elijah said, boy, the boldest of some preachers. Elijah said, well, make me a little cake first. No, never mind about you and your your boy. Make me a cake first. Now, if most people said that, I would think they have the utmost gall and audacity and pride and self-importance, but that wasn't true with Elijah. He was just doing what God told him to do. Sometimes you can give the wrong appearance to a lot of people when you're doing only what God told you to do. Elijah said, I want a little cake first. And now this woman, I want you to get the picture of who she is. She's a Gentile. She's living in a land not known for spirituality, but somehow God had communicated to her Remember, when God told Elijah to leave the brook and go to Zarephath, he said, I have commanded a widow who lives there to feed you. Since the ravens have stopped bringing food and there's no water in the brook, I've given that widow a commandment to feed you. So now he goes to Zarephath and he finds the widow. There's some kind of a witness in his heart by the Spirit that this is the woman. And so he asks her to do just what God told her to do. And she said, first of all, she said, I can't do that. I don't have enough, really, for my son and me. When we eat what we have right now, that's all we have. We'll just die. So what am I going to do? And Elijah, in effect, said, obey God. You know, sometimes it comes down to a place that looks like it's really, really hard to obey him. And the truth is, as difficult as it may be, as much of a hardship as it may seem to impose on you, it's the only alternative you have. This woman looked at the meal and she said, there's just a little bit in there. All of you know what meal is, you know, like a little flour, but it's made out of corn or something. And there's oil. So she wanted to put the oil in to cook and cook it on the little fire, and that's all they had. And now he's asking for part of that. If you look at it this way, what does she really have to lose? One more little meal? Just enough to eat one more time? It's all over then anyway. 
So, so, so what does she have to lose? And then Elijah said to her, and if you do this, she brought him the cake. Now that you've done this, he said, now let me tell you the reward of this. He said, that barrel where you've been keeping that meal that was down to the bottom, and you can see the bottom, there's more bottom than there was meal, that barrel is not going to diminish. It's going to fill up. There's going to be meal in it every day. The oil that you had in the container that was down, and with the last few drops it was going to dry up, that container is going to be filled up with oil, and you're going to have all the meal you need and all the oil you need for the food that you need going forward from this time until prosperity returns to the land when the drought is broken and the rains come again. Now, when you do something that God tells you to do, as difficult and as hard as it may be at the moment, the reward is always greater than the sacrifice. You will always receive more back than you put in. This widow found out this was true. And when she did what Elijah told her to do, make me a little cake first. She found the reward of an obedient person began to flow into her life, and there was plenty. There was plenty. And Elijah stayed there for a period of time living in the, in the, in the home of her, in the, in the complex of the woman, this woman who had fed him. Now, when you come to a place that God speaks to you about doing something, it will never be to your detriment. It may look like it at the time. You may question it at the time. You may wonder why God would want you to do a thing like that, especially if it involves your leaving after you've done what he's asked you to do. You have to walk away and leave. Nothing left. But, you know, Jesus did this very same thing to people. He said to them, if you're going to follow me, follow me all the way. One man said, let me go back and bury my father. He said, let all of those who do not follow me, who are living in death, they've got plenty of time to do that. He's just making a, a statement. He's not saying it's not all right to have a funeral for your parents, but he was, just, he was saying, this has to be first. I'm first. And all of the excuses that were given to Jesus, he gave an answer to every single one of them. The young man who was a ruler, the King James says, a wealthy young man, came to Jesus and said, I want to inherit eternal life. What must I do for that to happen? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And the young man said, I do, and I've kept them, every one of them, from my youth up. So what else must I need to do? Because his heart wasn't satisfied. He wasn't content with where he stood with God. And so the Lord Jesus gave him another answer. He said, well, all you need to do now is to get rid of all these possessions you have, go and sell all that you have, and give it to the poor, and you'll have riches in heaven. You'll give up earthly goods, but you'll have riches in heaven. And the Bible says the young man went away with sorrowfully. He went away with great sorrow. Because that was a sacrifice he could not make, or at least he wasn't willing to make. I've always said this. I've said this for years. I believe this is true. The more I've learned about the way God deals with us, the more I believe this is true. I believe if that young man had said, well, I'll certainly sell all that I have. I'll start with this possession. I'll go down the list. I've got an inventory. I'll sell it all. Where would you like me to make this donation to help the poor? I'll do it just as soon as possible. I do believe Jesus would have said it isn't necessary to do it. It is necessary to be willing to do it. 
And I see that you're willing to do it. Sometimes you don't have to go out and actually do it, but you've really got to be willing to do it. I think sometimes about God speaking to me, telling me certain things he wants me to do. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, 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 sometimes I just soon leave me alone. Because he asked me some things. You know, I, I, <laughs> you know how facetiously I say that. But, but truthfully, if God comes and tells me there's something I need to do, my first thought is, well, Lord, I've, I've, I've done about everything else. What else? What else would there? What else do I have that I can? What else can I do? But I know this: God never asks me to do anything that won't produce a blessing. Obedience will always produce the blessing of God. So God said it. So do it. That's what you have to believe. God told me. I know He did. I'm going to do it because I will be the loser if I don't. Now, I will confess to you that there are some things that God has to say to me more than one time. And there are some things, if he ever does say it to me, I don't know what it would take to get me to listen. Because if he starts talking to me about moving to Connecticut, or New Hampshire, or, 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 or Vermont, I don't want to just talk about the bad, snowy, cold places, or California. I don't want to be in the snow, and I don't want to be in the ignorance. <laughs> so, so if God, I said, I said, if God ever tells me to move any place like that, He's going to have to speak with me with an audible voice, and then send it to me in writing with His signature on it. I got to know, and I'm going to have to know it's God before I do something like that. But here's the thing about it. And all that facetiousness that I just spouted out, I know down in my heart. I don't want him to do it. I'm not even trying to give him any ideas. He doesn't need them from me. I don't. But I know down in my heart, if God told me to move to Bangor, Maine, I would do it. I've got a long coat and some warm clothes. And what I don't have, they sell. <laughs> I can pay the price. And you can pay the price of doing whatever God tells you to do because He's telling you for your benefit. He's telling you for your blessing. And He's telling you so that your life can be enriched by the presence and power of God that will flow into and through you as a result of your obedience to Him. So it's the number one thing that we have to do. If we want to know God and walk with Him, we have to obey Him. Now Elijah knew that God had sent him. So he boldly spoke the word to the, to the woman, and, uh, and, 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 and he gave her the promise of God to supply for her. And to her credit, she did what the Lord had commanded that she do. He had already told her in advance. Now, keep in mind, because he told Elijah, I have told a woman in Zarephath to feed you. So he had already told her. She already knew Elijah was coming. She didn't know what he looked like or who he was or what his name was. 
But she knew that somebody was coming and she was supposed to feed him. He was a prophet of God. Somehow God had communicated that to her. Elijah went based on what God had told him. So sometimes God's working on both sides. When one person does the right thing, the other person does the right thing. It, 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 it's, a, it's a magnificent, a magnificent joining of power. And God produces great results out of it. So look what happened in this case. First of all, as Elijah said it would, the meal in the barrel and the oil in the cruise continued to replenish itself, and they had plenty to eat from that time forward, all that they needed. Shortly after that, this widow's son died while Elijah was living there. And when the son died, she came to him in great consternation. Elijah went before the Lord. He cried out to God. He performed the act God told him to perform. And when he did, the son came back to life. So the widow received her son again. And when that happened, she said, now I know. She surely already knew, but she said, this confirms once more. And now I know that you are indeed the man of God and the man that God has sent. Because the blessing of God that came from her obedience, keeping Elijah there, caused her son to still live. Elijah went on after that to the great contest on Mount Carmel. When there was the test between him and the prophets of Baal, that he said to Ahab, set it up, and I alone will represent the Lord God. Bring all the prophets of Baal that you can find. And when he did, you have know, not abbreviating the story, you should know it well. At Mount Carmel, when he called down the fire after the prophets of Baal had tried and tried and failed in every way, Elijah spoke the words of prayer to God, and God poured out fire that consumed the sacrifices on the altar and proved as the people began to shout out, The Lord is God! The Lord is God! The Lord is God! And all this is a result of obedience. Suppose Elijah had disobeyed God early on. Suppose he hadn't gone by the brook Kirith and stayed there. Suppose he hadn't gotten, gone up and gone to the widow of Zarephath. Suppose he hadn't obeyed the Lord and seen those things step by step as he learned strength and power and faith in the answers that God gave him. Again and again and again, God gave the results that came because of obedience. And then ultimately, Ahab and his wicked queen Jezebel lost their power. They were killed, slain, removed from the leadership of Israel. And all of this came about step by step after obedience. Victory following obedience. And that's what will happen when you obey God. When you and I hear God and listen to Him, pay attention to what He's saying, and do what God has told us to do, do what God has told us to do, there will be victory resulting from that. Always, always there will be victory resulting from that. So what is God asking you to do? He may not be asking you to do the very thing that you want to do. And wanting to do it makes you think it's God speaking to you. Maybe not. I'm not saying that everything God asks us to do is onerous or hard. It's just that sometimes he asks us things that are unexpected. And first we can't quite see how God could be asking this. But then as we pray and know that it's the Lord saying it, it may have something to do with the job. You know, sometimes we think, oh... I want that promotion. And God may be telling you, really better for you not to have it. He may not give you all the reasons. But if that's the case, he'll ultimately prove how his way is the best way. Now, this is an important thing to know. 
My next book is going to be titled, God Has a Better Plan. I've got my first chapter already written in my head. God has a better plan. And when Gideon, this is the first chapter, when Gideon heard the voice of the angel, he walked in, the angel walked into the threshing floor where Gideon was working, and he said, Hail, mighty man of God and of valor. Gideon must have turned around and said, Who are you talking to? Huh? You. Oh, no, not me. But the pronouncement was true. And then God took away his 32,000 soldiers, which wouldn't have meant much against 300 Midianites anyway. Took away the 33,000 and pared it right on down to 300 men. And all that Gideon had to, as soldiers to fight against the 300,000 Midianites was himself and 300 men, loyal followers, to go with him into the battle. But at the end of that battle, at the end of that battle, the victor, the winner, the conqueror was the man who obeyed God. And the winner in your life, the product of your life coming to victory, the, the direction of your life culminating in, in, in winning the victory in Jesus will always be based on your obedience to him. So whatever it takes for my will to break, Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. There's a little song that I used to hear sung by some of the old, they were old in my day, they were old. But I, I remember one man who, who uh, one of his favorite songs was 50 Miles of Elbow Room. When he gets to heaven, there's going to be 50 Miles of Elbow Room. And, and he sang that song, and every time he sang 50 Miles of Elbow Room, he said, there'll be 50 Miles of Elbow Room. But that same person sang this little song. He does not compel you to go. He does not compel you to go. He does not compel you to go against your will. But he just makes you willing to go. And that's what we want from by our surrender to him, we want him to help us be willing to go, be willing to obey him in all things. Please bow your head with me.